Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you watch Food Network or Cooking Channel, you are probably familiar with Ali Khan. You've definitely seen his face. He's all over the place. He's done Cheap Eats, a, a great show on Cooking Channel. Judge Chop, Chop Jr. appears on The Best Thing I Ever Ate. Ollie, you're all over the place, man. There's too much of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's a long time coming, so I feel like it's deserved right now. You've earned it. You've earned it. But listen, <laughs> thanks for joining us here on Hot Takes on a Plate on the Believe Podcast Network. And before we get to the hot takes, because I want to talk Cheap Eats with you. I want to sure. talk about just that's going to be our lane today, Cheap Eats. But first, you live in Austin, Texas. And obviously, we're going through this global pandemic. So I'm curious, you know, because most of this audience is New York based here for this show. What's it like in Austin right now? I mean, I see things on the news about numbers spiking in Texas. And we're in a position here in New York, uh, as we're recording this, where New York City restaurants are allowed to do outdoor dining for the first time in a long time. Suburban restaurants are allowing people back in this week at about 50% capacity. So What's the mood like in Texas, in Austin? Have you been to restaurants? What's what's going on there? Well, you know, I can tell you, first and foremost, I haven't been to a dining room since early March, you know? So when the city shut down, when they announced South by Southwest was done, that was the last time I was at any kind of restaurant, and it was an open-air bar, which is kind of a norm here. So, you know, you know, we moved here with my son, my wife, and I, and we like to play it safe. You know, we, we, are, <laughs> we are conservative in that regard. We play it safe. So we just haven't been out. Um, so in a lot of ways, my information is pretty much the information you're getting. Um, I watch the news, and you see, like, you know, it's phase two and this and that. Uh, we've tried to support restaurants doing the whole takeout thing. Um, when we get groceries, it's always like the whole curbside and stuff. So just not a lot of firsthand experience. Um, but you and know, it's, it's interesting. See- you said play it safe. Um, you know, I'm going to guess we're about the same age. And yeah. it seems to me my, my general observation on all this is the Gen Xers are playing it safe. The boomers, the millennials, the Gen Zs, they're like, eh. I'm kind of over this thing. <laughs> like, can yeah, we go back to normal? I, mean, I have. I mean, I know you've got kids. I've got a kid. And, you know, it's just this is, it's it's hard enough. And, you know, the other thing, too, for me is um, there's a lot that I can't do right now. Nothing. There's not any shows in production and stuff. And I've taken this opportunity to, like, just start cooking, man. You know, like, I really, you know, I, I came from a food writing, blogging background. So my whole thing was like, oh, I just ate at this spot. Let me snap a picture. Let me post it. Right. And, you know, I love to cook, but I never thought of myself as cook first. Still don't. But in this era, I have found myself kind of just having cravings and experimenting and chasing experiences that I can't readily get as before. And I've had a newfound, newfound fondness for In-N-Out Burger. Like I have now become obsessed with In-N-Out Burger at this time. 
They are they are a good burger. They're a good value burger. And I, I just got to let the audience know. I don't know how much of this is coming through on the microphone, but um, it, we since we are still you know homeschooling and all of that, I've got two children in my small Brooklyn apartment, and there is a squeaky door that I need to put some some WD forty on that is opening and closing in the background. But we have yet to have a cameo, so that's that's good news at least. Uh, but that yeah. might happen. I, you you never know. So of course here on Hot Takes on a Plate on the Believe Podcast Network, you get to eavesdrop on the ultimate food fights as I debate my culinary world friends and other eating enthusiasts in their areas of expertise. And Ali Khan is, of course, Mr. Cheap Eats. So let's talk a little Cheap Eats. I'll throw some hot takes at you, Ali, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong and why. You ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm All right. ready. Let's go. All right. First one. The show I hosted back in the day, Restaurant Hunter, the very first ever episode we did in 2011, because each episode has had a theme. The theme was, believe it or not, Cheap Eats. And we did, uh, I think we did burgers and we did bagels and I don't remember what else. Okay. And it was the last time in over in, in about 600 episodes that I ever, re- I never revisited Cheap Eats. Mm-hmm. And the reason I didn't is because over time I kind of said to myself, well, what is Cheap Eats? You know, it's, it's one person's cheap can be somebody else's pricey. And I think with your show, what you do great is you give it a parameter. You say, here's the budget for the day. So everybody knows the ballpark you're playing in. So Mm -hmm. whether they think that's cheap or not, whatever, they know. It's, it's, It's sitting there. It's objective. But my issue with the term cheap eats in general is that too many food writers who use it, use it completely subjectively. It's just this throwaway term that has no meaning. And unless you're going to give parameters for what you're talking about with a cheap eat, you really can't call something cheap eats. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Um, I think you are absolutely right. Uh, Look, and I'm the guy who said, oh, it's got to be 35 bucks. And that works as a cool convention. Um, I can tell you as cheap eats audience expands lately, it's been airing a lot in Africa. I've had folks who say 35 bucks is not cheap. I Thirty-five bucks. Now, now, for people who haven't seen the show, Ollie's talking about thirty-five bucks in a day, in for, a day. for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's not. It's not thirty-five dollars for a meal. Yes, yes. So thirty-five bucks to get breakfast, lunch, dinner, and a snack, uh, straight out of the VO. Um, so you know, look, it, it's relative, and I think what is interesting is in my travels, place like New York City even though it's gotten more and more and more expensive, I always found that you could find some good bang for your buck in New York because the competition offset the price to a certain degree, okay? Um, and then, you know, it's like good is good and not so good is not so good. And then, look, I grew up in St. Louis, and, like, when I moved to Los Angeles, I was aghast. And when I'd go to certain restaurants, and they'd be like, very famous one. Dan Tannis. Still, you know what's funny? When I cheap eats worked well for me because there were just certain restaurant experiences I had as a young restaurant goer where I was like, this is ridiculous. I was like a 23-year-old old man going to these some of these iconic restaurants in Los Angeles that are old school, very, very celebrated. Dan Tannis, Musso and Franks. And this was this is back in like in 99. I go to Musso and Franks, they had a filet mignon sandwich, $19. I was like, that's insane. That that irked <laughs> the DNA of my St. Louis 
upbringing. Um, oh, I, so I'm I with think- you, man. I remember when I was right out of college, broke, you know, working my first TV job, making $25,000 a year and in Atlanta. And I remember the first like nice night out. I treated my then girlfriend, now wife to, And we went to this French brasserie and I ordered the shrimp. And I was expecting like, I think I was expecting like red lobster sizzler, like big old plate of shrimp. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. There were yeah. four shrimp on the yeah. plate. And I remember I paid $26 for four shrimp. Yeah. And I went to Burger King afterwards because I was yeah. hungry. Yeah. And and that when you don't have money, that hurts. Like that really hurts, right? You're like, yeah. oh, it's like a gut punch. It's it's an insult. You know, I think too, one of the interesting things about cheap eats in general is that you have to kind of say, and I've learned this over the years, is that there is a context to all these restaurants. So that place that you went to that charged 26 bucks for the four shrimp, there were other elements going for that restaurant. Now, that may not have been your cup of tea back then, you know? And as I bring up this place, Dan Tannis, Dan Tannis, you don't go for the chicken part. You go there because a studio exec sits at the stool for the same <laughs> 15 years and you have chicken parm and you hear people talk crazy Hollywood talk. That's why it's there. Like, you know, there's places people kind of assume I'm going to spend all this money. That means the food's going to be the best. That's just impossible. One time I was in line at a barbecue joint here, La Barbecue that we featured on Best Thing I Ever Ate. And I had a guy there. Look, I'm no Texan. I am a, I'm an accidental Texan. I just, I'm here. By default, I'm just getting kicked out of LA for, because I can figure out how to do it, you know? And I had a guy here from Texas. And he just come back from New York City. So we're shooting the shit or whatever. And he's just saying, you know, I was in New York. I had the best Italian food. I had this. I had that. But you know what? Nothing can compare to this barbecue. Now, I'm sitting there and I'm going, hey, I love this barbecue too. But how, you, how can you compare those apples and oranges? Well, here's the thing. His context is this. When he hit brisket, he was done. He was done. <laughs> that was it. It's over. I'm still chasing you're probably still chasing that next amazing bite. And it's all an experience that grows, you know? Um, yeah, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. You can't just put a price tag on it and say it's going to be the bee's knees. It doesn't work that way. Well, that segues to my next Cheap Eats hot take, which is that when people say cheap, it's usually synonymous with casual. And to me, the best eats usually are casual because to me, if I'm judging skill of whoever's cooking something, I'm more impressed eating an amazing version of something I've had a million times over than I am some chef who's creating some, you know, fusion-y new version of something that, like, doesn't actually exist because I don't have a comparison point. Like, like sure. I've had a million slices of pizza. So if you can make me a pizza that, that knocks my socks off, mm-hmm. that's like, wow. And that's, you know, that's considered a cheap eat. It's considered casual. If you could, you know, uh, an amazing, you know, scoop of ice cream, you know, we've all had ice cream, but like, if you yeah. can do that better than anyone else, that, that to me is like a wow moment. So to me, yeah. I'm more wowed by the basic casual quote unquote cheap stuff 
often than I am wowed by something that is, you know, oh, look, I made this new dish that nobody's ever heard of because I can't compare it to anything. Of course. So, so it's almost like cheating. It's like, of course, it's great because you use great ingredients and there's no comparison point. Tell mm-hmm. me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong that, that I, I, I find it more impressive to do something that has been done before, but do it better than anyone else than something that hasn't. I know this is going to get real boring, but you're 100% right. Of course. Look, I mean, ah, when you just... have comfort food, you're automatically setting up a bigger bullseye for people to have some sort of reference for, right? Now, you know, maybe maybe that person, again, has had the best blah, blah, blah. The thing, have you ever seen The Departed? You've seen The Departed. Yeah. Everyone's seen The Departed. Remember when he's, uh, uh, Matt Damon's out on the date with uh, Vera, I can never say her last name, and they're having this dessert and it shows up and uh, she goes, I'm waiting for you to make your first move. And he tells me, I don't know if I should eat it or shoot it. You know, like that to me sums up so much about what happens when people go and spend a bunch of money for some crazy, expensive experience, right? Now, I'm not mocking that, but the thing is this. If you're going to go to a place like Alinea, you know, or Noma, and you've never been there before, which is the case for a lot of people, you have to go in with a genuine appreciation and curiosity for why that place exists. And that's different than these are the best fries. It's just different. Well, I do. Like, I feel like when it comes to casual food like that, you know, quote unquote, cheap eats you're comparing dish to dish, right? Like like you brought up In-N-Out Burger, we were talking earlier, um, it might've been before we started recording. Yeah. And, and you know, In-N-Out Burger, you compare to Shake Shack or you compare mm-hmm. to Five Guys or whatever. You compare burger to burger, but like in a linea, like that kind of a place, you don't actually compare dish to dish. You compare yeah. restaurant to restaurant. So you might compare a linea to Blue Hill at Stone Barns. Exactly. Or you might compare Alinea to like, like I think about, you know, like Noma or, or like I went to Copenhagen a few years ago and I ate at this amazing restaurant, Amas. Uh-huh. Amas is to me is still the best dining experience I've ever had. It was, you know, fine dining, but it was, but it was fun. It was, you know, they were playing nineties hip hop in the background. I mean, uh-huh. is is you know, the, the, the chef owner is a Noma alum. I wouldn't say any dish I had there was the best dish I ever had, but it was the experience of it because yeah. it was like, wow, they're they're doing this thing and it's it's awesome and they're creative and the ingredients are impeccable and the service is impeccable. So I do think, you know, and if you're talking about fine dining, you compare fine dining to fine dining, but you don't compare dish to dish. That no, no, that that's uh, I I think very true. I think very true. Um, yeah, you know, but it it's. I don't know. You know, I will say this, though. In the end of the day, like, it's hard. I mean, I can't tell you the last time. I mean, I have an eight-year-old. We just don't go out. Like, no, you, know, like, you don't. It, you know, I know. Sitter, and it's just like, and you know what? I'll tell you. If we're going to spring for the sitter, we want to go to a place where we're a little familiar with. We're looking for a lock, Rob. You know yeah, what I mean? that's true. When I was 24, 25, it's almost like bragging rights, too. You know, I used to tell people back in the molecular gastronomy day, and people always ask me this, like, do you think it's worth the money or this or that? And I'm like, listen, like, if you want to talk about money, this is the thing. A guy who, you know, had lobster on Monday, steak on Tuesday, crazy Italian on Wednesday, sushi on Thursday, Friday, Saturday rolls around. He's going to be bored of the big ones. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a penthouse-only kind of guy. You know what I mean? I don't have the black card. So, you know, I, I think to a certain degree, teach their own. But there's a deeper conversation here. 
and I think it's this, is um, an appreciation for something that just seems like anyone can step up and have it. And I think it's, to a certain degree, I mean, peasant food is universal, it's international, whatever. But there's something uniquely American about, you know, the diner or the barbecue joint or whatever. And there was a time where the New York Times, like Craig Claiborne, wouldn't talk about those places. And when you have some of the more prolific food writers like Calvin Trillin saying the best restaurant in the world is, you know, uh, Arthur Bryant's in Kansas City, there was a time where I was like, I was like, everyone's like, what? Say what? You know what I mean? And I think an acknowledgement that it doesn't have to be snooty. It oh, doesn't absolutely. have to be beyond the approach of anybody. Oh, I mean, I think that goes back to, you know, the original point, which is like, like when people ask me like what, like last meal on earth type stuff, like what would be my last meal on earth? It would be Los Tacos Numero Uno in Chelsea Market. Like, I don't know, like right one, where yeah. Food Network yeah. is located. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my gosh, those, those Autobata tacos, like, holy cow, like they're yeah. so freaking good i mean that's yeah. that's what i want i want that dripping all over my face that spit yeah. meat you know yeah. um do you eat for yeah. the gram are you one of these people that has to go somewhere because you're excited to post a picture of it or are you just like you know i like you said like i want i just want my comfort i want my neighborhood joint like it's uh you know the problem is is we both work 24 7 so you have to kind of go listen you're here now try and snap that picture um but do you go I, somewhere to get the picture or are you over that because i'm kind of over that at this point i just don't mm, care enough i can't not get a picture i mean unless it's a place i've been to a bunch and i'm with my family and i'm tired of putting i'll get the it. picture but i'm not going to a place just to get it. like i used there was a time in my life i'm ashamed to admit it but i'll admit it where i would order certain things off the menu not because i wanted them but because i'm like this this is gonna rock the gram I i'm not that i am i am i am not that guy <laughs> i don't think i, I, gr I grew i grew out of it but there was i'm not gonna lie there was a moment where yeah. I, if I was debating between two dishes, I was like, mm, yeah, well, that's going to stack up nice. It's going to have some height. I'm going to get that angle. Oh, the sun's going to hit off of it. Ooh. I mean, I'm aware of it, and I, I definitely set up my shots for that. And, you know, I will tell you a little secret, and this actually fueled a YouTube show I did called Ali versus the Dome, which is a little secret. My kryptonite, to a certain degree, is hot dogs. And if you watch food TV, you know that you can never just. I, I don't. I actually like hot dogs. This is how I do a hot dog rub. I like a Hebrew National or a Boar's Head Natural casing. A little kraut, a little mustard, maybe some sport peppers. I'm looking for a little, you know, acidity, maybe a little heat. Very simple. That doesn't pass on food TV. On food TV, you gotta have a hot dog with the kitchen sink, and that kitchen sink's yep. gotta have a hot dog stand on top. I did a segment so, at a hot dog place back in the day that put like fruity pebbles and all sorts of weird stuff on it. Had and, cinnamon you know, toast crunch just, on one. Yeah, we did. We Yeah, it was just, you know what? Sometimes you just give the people what they want and yeah. that's what they want. They want to see they want to see you eat weird things. Go go be their guinea pig. Go eat the weird thing, Ollie. Which is, you know, that's why I'm a big fan of the term. And, you know, I, I haven't seen all of season two, but David Chang's Ugly Delicious, because I really relate to that term. I mean, the food I grew up with, like, yeah, it, it could, some of it looks like a plate of diarrhea. That's what curries <laughs> look like, you know? I did not grow up eating chicken tikka masala. That is restaurant Indian food, you know what I mean? Uh, my mom ate the fish face, you know? Like, that's what we did. It's a third world kind of thing. And uh, But there's a lot of flavor to it. But the reality is, is in a visual forward food world, 
even when I take my pictures of even my butter chicken, which I make in an instant pot, I'm reaching for the parsley because I know how the game is played. Um, and it's not for eating, it's just for the gram. So, and, but now know, I won't eat it just for the gram. It's got to be something I'm truly down for. You segued perfectly into my next um, thing I wanted to talk to you about. Your parents were born in Bangladesh. They immigrated here um, and, and then had you. So, you know, you were the child of immigrants. And, you know, I think it's important that as an Asian, you were not pigeonholed by Food Network into doing an Asian themed food show. I mean, I think in a lot of the conversations that we're having right now, you know, it's like if you are of a nationality and you are in food media, you're expected to cook that food or you're expected to talk about that food. And I think from a representation standpoint, it's really important to have diverse hosts who are not expected to talk about the food of their culture. Because here's the deal. You're born in St. Louis. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yes, yes, yeah. you have a family just like, you know, I'm I'm half Italian. And obviously, you know, there was a big Italian influence in my life. but I'm 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 much more than that, you know. I'm, right, right, and, right. and and you're much more than that. And you grew up eating things that have nothing to do with Bangladesh. Right. And so I think it's really important in general. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. That you know to have people in positions where they they're, they're more than just you know what you assume they know, so to speak. You know what? I'm I'm gonna get. Let's get controversial. You're wrong. Here's why. Here's really? why. And first of all, first and foremost. I have to be incredibly grateful for Food Network Cooking Channel for giving me the opportunity uh, that I have had. And I, it, it speaks to, you know, look, they've got a diverse lineup, straight up. It's pretty obvious, right? But I will say, though, if you look at food media in general, and this goes up and down, we can even talk about what happened to Bon Appetit, right? Right. Some of the writers and some of the folks of color. Well, I think this ties in perfectly to that yeah. because a lot of those writers were complaining. It's like, you know, they're, they were expected to, you know, if you're, you know, Asian, you were expected to talk about Asian food. And that was pretty much, that was it. Whereas if you were white, you could talk about anything you wanted, including Asian food. I, but I also got, on my feed, I caught some interesting stories of people who wanted to pitch um, cuisines of their respected heritage. And they were like, yeah, we're not, our audience isn't going to want to hear that. True. You know? Very so true. So I think that, and look, you know, it's it, it, to me, my opinion is I don't think people have necessarily an agenda against food cultures per se. But what happens is when you chase the ratings and you chase the likes, all of a sudden everybody's talking about tater tots and you can't stop that cycle, you know. Um, and I think, you know, there is something to be said about bringing in other food cultures into the food conversation mix whether the person happens to be of that background i mean i could go both ways about it but well, um, i'm not i, I don't want to be you know mis misheard here i'm not saying we shouldn't be talking i i mean when i had restaurant hunter i diversity was the most important thing about how i produced the show and diversity meaning a lot of things i was diversity of cultures diversity right. of characters diversity of geography because we covered a large area diversity mm -hmm. of price points try to give everything to everyone and to truly represent our community i guess my point is Sometimes when you are a minority, you get pigeonholed into just sure. being whatever you are. And I don't think that's fair because white hosts don't get pigeonholed. They can, you know, they can talk about whatever food they want. And yeah. I think it's great that you with Cheap Beats have had that freedom that you were yeah. not pigeonholed. 
yeah, I think that's I mean, important. Think it is it is really interesting with cheap eats because uh, I think that whether intentional or not, as I traveled around the country, you know, and you go to all kinds of different pockets of the country, I think people would kind of like, you know, without it being put right in their face, they could see, look, an Arabic name, a face of a South Asian, and also hear a voice that sounds as familiar as anyone they could have grown up with, you know? Um, and whether that's intentional or not, who knows? I mean, but uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, you don't, look, do you, I, I always, when I look back at like, you know, there's, there's, it's interesting. It's a slippery slope, cultural appropriation with food. I think most famously in my world, I hear a lot about that with um, uh, certain writers and say Rick Bayless, right? But I tell you, there's a guy down here in Austin who makes amazing tacos and he is a white dude from Louisiana and he doesn't make authentic tacos, but he does, he grinds the corn, nixtamalizes the masa and he's a fine dining chef. And he'll even say like, you know, I know people look at me and they're like, oh, you're not the real deal. You're not making the real deal. But I'm really happy that guy um, is making tacos. And, I mean, look, yeah. my, my take on that has always been, I, I, I think it's a slippery slope to say people can't cook a certain food because because yes. I think it goes both ways. Like, I mean, obviously, like if you're Indian, you should be able to cook pizza, right? Like, it, right. like there's nothing that says you shouldn't. And if you're white, you should be allowed to cook certain things. And you can hear my children yelling in the background. I just know it. Oh, my God. It's fine. Um, of course, this is when we talk about the serious stuff. That's when they act up. Of course. Mm -hmm. Of course. Not not during the fun stuff now. But anyway, um. But but like when you think about if you're going to cook food that is not of your culture, you better do your homework. That's that's all I ask personally. Like, very true. you know, don't 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 go out there and say, hey, tacos are hot. So I'm a white guy and I'm going to open a taco place and I know nothing about the culture and I'm going to bastardize it to a point where, you know, if somebody like nobody would recognize that. And because mm -hmm. what happens then is identity and culture gets erased the more that happens right you know it's okay to riff on tacos yeah. as long as we know what the original looked like and we understand where it came from mm -hmm. and so you know it, it is a slippery slope and it is a delicate thing but i think there are people out there who are doing their homework and paying due respect and understanding that this is not mine and i'm not going to pretend it's mine and 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 that's okay Mm -hmm. um, what's not okay is to just take something and take advantage of it and, and, and be so oblivious and obtuse to what you're dealing with. Well, I think that's the key is you, you kind of know when someone's taking advantage of something, you know, versus, you know, hopefully like their earnest intentions pop out, you know, um, and it's pretty evident. So we kind of had like a disagreement finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting too, because we were talking about representation, you know, I was having a really interesting conversation with my oldest daughter because we're all talking, I think, a lot more with our kids now about race. I think, you know, my generation, my parents were really re I was very fortunate. They were really, really good on this topic as I was a kid. But the one mistake that I think a lot of families made is that they 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 bought into this whole colorblind thing, which is this utopian vision that we're all the same. And, and that is the way that I would love for things to be. The issue, of course, is it's not always a reality. And so sometimes you, you end up putting up blind spots when you do that and you don't always notice certain things that maybe you should notice. And I was talking to my daughter and she was pointing out to me that, you know, she likes some of these Disney singers that are like singer actresses. And 
And she mentioned three of them and she said, but like, I get them confused because they all kind of look the same. They're all like, you know, blonde, white women. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, think about that for a second. Like, it's interesting because like this, you know, there's diversity in the Disney world, but the stars are always the same people Mm -hmm. by and large. Mm -hmm. And I think same holds true for food media. There's diversity in food media, but who are the big stars? You know, like the big, big universally recognized stars, especially in the TV world. Mm -hmm. It's not always the most diverse people. And I think, you know, that to me is really important. Diversity can't just be. And I think that's why, like, do it goes back to my original point, being somebody um, who is a person of color, getting to do a show that would usually go to, you know, a white person. That that's kind of important. I think. For, you know, I've had some people who come, you know, like hit me up on Instagram and stuff and they're like, they're like really excited. Um, just they share this sense of pride because they're South Asian and they're like, wow, you're out there and like on TV and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing because like, I think I'm the host of Cheap Eats, not because of my ethnicity, but at the same time, I can't ignore it because look, you know, like it's. It's look, I mean, it is, you know, it's so funny in this crazy, crazy world we're in, you do realize that even with like heavyweight companies, there has been a sense of we need to keep diversity in mind. I worked in advertising and in in commercial production and I would cast stuff because I came from an acting background so I could help in the casting stuff. And, you know, like, Bad agencies, I mean, throughout my time doing it in the 2000s, uh, were very aware of, you know, we need to have X, Y, and Z in there, you know? And you can call it arbitrary, you could call it like, I don't know, affirmative action isn't quite it. But that recognition, and I'll say, since we're talking about it, we're just talking about it right now, I, um, it's been, it's weird to say I'm like rooting for companies and corporations, but I look, I'm somebody who's very, my, I look at, especially because I don't get out of the house, you know, because of COVID, I look at Graham, Instagram is a p- big window to the world. And, you know, with, 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 with what happened with Blackout Tuesday, I was relieved to see so many brands get in there. Now, you could argue there are 100% intentions, but you know what? Sometimes you just got to say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll, we'll get there later yeah. about it's, who was in the struggle for the longest time. But I, me personally, I was relieved. Relieved to see a lot of brands just kind of acknowledge that and, you know, just, you know, just give, give a little empathy, you know? Absolutely. Um, and, and you made yeah. a really good point about pride, you know, cultural pride. Because when I did Restaurant Hunter, you know, when I when I started doing that show in 2011, the food media landscape, everybody, especially when it came to any local food TV, it was all about let's go to the hottest, newest, hippest, you know, whatever restaurant sure. and get there first. And and I kind of took a different path. I was going to a lot of places that had been around for 50 years and hadn't seen media in decades because those are the places that people have emotional attachments to. Yeah. And those are the segments that got shared the most and liked the most when they went on social media because it was like, hey, Tommy, look, look what's on TV. You know, it's our place. And and a lot of that happened, too, when I would go to underrepresented communities, communities that the media ignored a lot of the time because Mm -hmm. people were excited. They were proud. Oh, my gosh, our place has finally been discovered. 
you know, like go into like the only Filipino restaurant on Long Island. And it's like, oh my gosh, somebody discovered this. And it's like, there's that pride of of recognition. And so beyond just be doing the right moral thing by doing that, Mm -hmm. it's like, there's actually an upside too, from a business standpoint that I think a lot of people, they just, they just neglect to see for whatever reason. I mean, you know, there's a reason like Get Out was such a big box office hit, right? Like it was a huge hit that if I'm not mistaken, almost didn't even like get made. Like it was like, there was yeah. like a fight to get it made. Sure. Cause people didn't think it could be a hit. Right. And it's like, of course it could be a hit. We live in a fragmented media landscape right now. Yeah. You know, it's not about getting everyone, you know, the days of cheers and Seinfeld, those days are over. It's about getting a passionate group of people. And that's all you got to do. Go find that passionate group and they're going to share it with their friends and your audience is going to grow by word of mouth. It's interesting too. You brought up something about times are changing. What do we expect? What do we expect from what we see and hear in our media and with food? And, you know, when you, you talk about like visiting communities that no camera crew had ever been there before, a big reason of how I got into any of this food media stuff was the work of Jonathan Gold. Um, and it was so accidental. I remember I was 19 years old. Uh, sophomore at USC, and at the corner, just a few blocks off campus, there were two Mexican restaurants. One was called Chano's, and that's where all the fraternity sorority people would go. They had a drive-through; people loved it, and it was a cool little spot. It was like kind of a Southern California holy trinity of fast food: hamburgers, Mexican food, and pastrami. They believe me, all three of those things <laughs> you will see constantly. A joint that have chili cheese fries and tacos and pastrami sandwiches and all this stuff, right? And then across the way was a spot that didn't have anything but just Mexican food. And my buddy told me, yeah, that's where, you know, people from the neighborhood go. And USC is in the northeast corner of South Central Los Angeles. So it's a different kind of neighborhood than UCLA. And I remember I went in there and you talked about the pork adobado that you like at uh, at Chelsea Market, Los Tacos, right? That's the first time I ever saw Al Pastor was there at this place. And I ordered some food and sat down and ate it. I looked up at the wall and there was a framed article. This is not some glorious restaurant. This is 1996 too. So there was no Yelp. There were no foodies or no millennials. And I read an article in a frame called Counterintelligence by Jonathan Gold. And he talked about these quesadillas. He called it quesadillas on steroids. And first of all, I thought anyone who writes an article called Counterintelligence about a cool little restaurant is the coolest thing ever. And if you you read his work, certainly if you see his documentary, City of Gold, you'll realize what he did was he started writing about communities that had no real media presence outside of their own languages literally you know um and you know andrew zimmerman very very famously says it in the documentary he went to places and gave those restaurants value and you could go into these restaurants and after the article had been released and whether it was the la times or the la weekly you know the owners would be especially in the early days oblivious and they'd be like what's going on and they'd be like someone would say you don't know Jonathan Gold just wrote about your restaurant and they trans, I mean, you would transform those places. And I think like, you know, now, you know, in this crazy time, it is interesting that as eaters, as American diners, we are so, uh, for the most part, so much more adventurous. Um, And I think we're in an interesting place now where to a certain degree, there is a part of our American, fellow American population that's 
loves the food, but they don't love the people making the food. And that's an interesting place to be at, you know, like. Absolutely. He was such a trailblazer and um, definitely broke out of the media echo chamber. And Ollie, I could talk to you forever. I'd love to grab a beer with you sometime. Maybe maybe in 2023, we'll do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully 2021, but we'll see. My my, uh, my, my time is running out because the the, the barnyard door has opened. There are children now infiltrating. I can hear the little voices, the pitter patter. It's coming. This okay. is this, these are the headaches we deal with in the time of COVID. But thank you so much. And for all of you listening out there, Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com. You can also follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rob Patron TV. And of course, you should follow and like and subscribe and do all those lovely things to the podcast hot takes on a plate it's on every platform you can think of and i'm hearing crying so that's really bad so i'm gonna make this even faster till next time i'm rob patron ciao (laughs) thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.